I'm Rob Wellendorf, president of Execso, and I guide business owners in a way that helps collaborate and provide synergies amongst their trusted professionals. I'll be on the podcast today to talk to the guys about how to create a dimension of fiduciary harmony and what it means to your business and to your family. Welcome to the show. Brian Lucius here with my podcast co-host Nate Lucius. Nate, what's happening today? Bilu, not too much today. We're just, uh, I, I see some light at the end of the tunnel. That's my uh, that's what I see, but we can oh, talk about that a little bit. I'm, I'm, I'm excited about it too. It's been a long, you know, it really hasn't been that long of this whole thing. We were talking about the other day of, you know, for Minnesota, I think it was around March 14th or 15th when, right. that when everything kind of grinded to a halt and everybody's been inside and now we're, we are starting to see a little light at the end of that tunnel. That's correct. I think we're getting close. So give us uh what are we doing today? Who's on the show? Well, we've got Rob Wellendorf on the show today. And Rob is the president of a company called Execso. And he works with uh, closely held businesses. And I've I've known Rob for several years. And I've, I've known some of the people that he's worked with. And he's not a, uh, doesn't come at it from a financial advisor aspect or an attorney aspect or a CPA aspect. But what he does, he works with closely held businesses. A lot of the ones that, that I've known that he's worked with are large privately owned companies. You're talking 50 million, hundred million dollar type companies. And he works with them on people that are looking to exit their business. And so he has kind of a unique story and a unique position in how he operates and works with those people, but trying to figure out what, what their exit strategy looks like. And for most people, they're going to think, what do you think when I say exit strategy? Sell. Sell, right? And what, you know, as, as when you listen to him talk, very few people, some but very few want to just drop the keys on the table and head out the door and say, I can't wait to get out of this thing. I mean, usually what, what built their business was their passion, was their love for it, all those things that we talk about in other podcasts. But, you know, what he helps them look at is what do you really want out of the business? And you're not always selling. Sometimes you're transitioning to key employees or kids or family or, you know, a big part of it is what are you going to do when you when you get done with the business. So I think for a lot of our listeners, they're, they're maybe not at the 10 yard line of selling their business, but there are some things they can start thinking about up front. And Rob has some really good insights on that. So he's a, a really good guy, very interesting uh, kind of niche that he works in. And I think uh, a lot of people will enjoy him. Yeah. Rob will certainly bring a lot of value. And I've, you know, I've known Rob for a long time and all the uh, different uh, talks he's given to our advisors and our clients, he's, just comes at it from a different perspective. And sometimes when you get in your shoes and you're running a business or you're doing that, you just, you can't help but see what you see. And he gives just a, a different perspective that I think is is very helpful for whether you're looking to exit, you got five years, 10 years, 20 years. He's just a great resource for, for us and for uh, potentially everybody out there. Great. Before we bring him on, let's talk a little bullish and bearish and more right. bullish and bearish on. And I'm going to go bullish on the reopening of the economy. And there might be some others that have other feelings on there, but since it's our podcast, I get to talk about what I want to talk about. That's the beauty of having a podcast. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> hey, I, I don't, I think it'd be difficult to argue that people are bullish on uh, reopening the economy. Here in Minnesota, uh, we are roughly a week away, a week to 10 days away from uh, restaurants opening. I think 
today as we're doing this, the governor's actually talking about what does that mean for restaurants to open? Mm-hmm. Of course, it's going to be some rules around 50% around social distancing and six feet and masks and all of that stuff. But but we are close, I think, to having uh, hair salons, which it's been, <laughs> as I sit here today, I think I speak for both of us. Why did you look at my hair? I think I'm that. nine or 10 weeks into uh, a non haircut, and I'm typically a three to four week guy. <laughs> I'm. I'm a good eight weeks into this, into this, what you, some would call, you know, being, if you're in Minnesota, hockey hair is what I got going on. It would look great under a helmet right now. We should, we should get a helmet on you <laughs> for in general. <laughs> but the, uh, so I'm, I'm kind of bullish on this and I'm not saying I'm ready to pack myself into a, into a Vikings game yet. Although I will be ready when that does start, but what what's something that you're most looking forward to with the reopening? Yeah, assuming so you're doing it safely I, and yada yada. You know, for me, it's just two things. One, just being able to leave my house without anybody, my home compliance or anybody <laughs> questioning me, and just hey, I gotta run a few errands, I gotta go do a few things for an hour, and I don't know, you just go somewhere and you walk in a store, you buy some beef jerky at the local place by my house. Like I enjoy that once in a while. And just on a Saturday afternoon, you just, you just feel like you can't go anywhere. I I agree with that. I'm also looking forward to a restaurant and going back to one and whether it's 50% tables or outdoor seating or I don't care what it is. I'd like to sit down with a menu, order something off of it and perhaps have some type of beverage with it. I'm, I agree with you. And I'm also looking for, and I don't think this is in the next two weeks, but where you're walking in a doorway or out of a doorway and you just like, you meet somebody head on and the person kind of ducks in the corner or you duck we awkwardly. <laughs> and it's, strange interaction. it's just kind of a weird exchange or when you're giving somebody money or your credit card like, all right, I'm just going to grab kind of the outside of it. It's just, it's just it odd. Or in the past, people, hey, you want one of these? It's just, I'm looking for, it's, I don't think that's in two weeks, but I think slowly here over the next three months, we we become less awkward. That's what I'm, I'm looking forward to just, you know, some things in between, you know, staying in my house completely isolated and, uh, you know, going downtown to whatever club, if those things are still alive. To put myself in with two thousand of my closest friends. That's right. But so I'm I'm pretty excited about that. I am excited. I got a June second haircut too, and then I don't know what to do. I feel like I've you know I've come so far with this mane that I have going. I feel like it's just throwing in the towel to just get it cut back. I feel like I should go one more, clean it up, and take one more run at it. You know. I do. I'm I'm familiar. I got a yeah. I got a June June second or June third haircut. So that's pretty exciting. I'm Good. Looking forward to it. Cool. What uh, what else are you bullish or bearish on? Uh, I'm going to go with a bearish item. Um, I think most people will be on my side here. I'm not, I can't say that for a fact, but I'm bearish on, in general, when certain individuals just hate on businesses, uh, specifically like Amazon comes to mind. Mm-hmm. I was reading an article the other day, you listen on the news, and especially Amazon, because people say, Amazon's too big. Somehow it's unfair. You know, Bezos is a terrible person for creating potentially the most meaningful company that the average American uses every single day. Would agree. And let me, let me just give you some stats here on Amazon. I re- read this on the interweb, so I'm gonna. It's gotta be true. I'm then. gonna say that it's true. Yeah. 
But, if you read it on the internet or hear it in a podcast, it's fact. Yeah, yeah. Nine out of 10 customers price check a product on Amazon. I do that. Okay, so there's no monopoly there. Mm-hmm. Um, Amazon sells more than 12 million products. They shipped over 5 billion items in 2018. That's a lot. And 80% of sellers sell on other platforms outside of Amazon. Okay. I.e. a marketplace. Mm-hmm. So here's what I'm really bearish about, though, is is Amazon is different than, let's take Apple. Apple's a phenomenal company. My house is filled with Apple products, mm-hmm. Mine is iPads, too. everything. So Apple's kind of got me. Mm-hmm. Like, I couldn't tell you how much I paid for my, my iPhone, but there's a ceiling of a price that I would pay. Right. But I'm not sure what I know what that is. Ceiling, but <laughs> but, it, but I mean, if Amazon comes out and their phone is $300 or $800 and I buy one every three years, I'm kind of going to buy one. Yeah, like I'm not. Agree. So th- they have people in a, in my opinion, more of a, not a monopoly, but more of a monopolistic, you know, sense yeah. than does Amazon. That's just my opinion. I agree. So Amazon... Like I said, 50%, um, so 50% of Amazon sales come from third parties, meaning they're not Amazon product. So if you're on Amazon, it's a marketplace, right? Mm -hmm. And if I log on to Amazon and shoes are $954 and I can buy them at Target for $54, I'm not going to buy them through Amazon. Agreed. People shop at Amazon because of you get scale you know, scale of pricing and you get convenience. I click a button. It's at my house today or tomorrow. Like that's crazy. Literally two clicks and the thing shows up in two days. So I'm just, I'm just bearish on, I get, we need rules and we need the government to help us, but I'm bearish that people say, you know, this guy has created, you know, like I said, probably the most forward thinking company, certainly in our time. Yeah. And for no other reason than he's too rich. He's too successful. It's too big. It's too big. Like I don't, I don't, I don't buy it. I would also say that, you know, even, you know, your Apple reference of, yes, Apple does does a good job of, of let's call it entrapment. Yes. But it's voluntary entrapment. Totally. I get on my Apple iPhone. I use the iTunes. I have the family plan and I bought my kids iPod touches because they're little. Yes, yep. iPods still exist. That then maps into mine so I can see what apps they're buying. Like Apple makes my life easier. Right. So. But yes, if they rolled out and said there's no more iPhone that's a thousand dollars anymore, whatever they are, they're all ten grand. I can switch to whatever else people use for phones. I have no, <laughs> Nokia, no, I have no idea. A razor. Now, yeah. I do agree with what you're saying with Amazon. Is that one is 100% voluntary, and I can either buy it here, I could buy toilet paper, which is fresh in people's minds at Target, yep. or I could pay four dollars more to have it shipped to my house. That is a choice that I can make. If I want to go get it, great. If I don't, that's fine. Think too. about all the small businesses, especially over the last 60 days. They can't sell product. They can sell product on Amazon. You have a product? For sure. You, I bet in, I don't know how what it takes, but I bet in a matter of two, three hours, like I could list my products on Amazon. I don't know, but it's got to be a pretty um, easy process. Easy. <clears throat> I saw an interview years ago and it was the, I think the CEO of GE or General Electric. And it was, they were giving him crap about having GE plants overseas or wherever it was and for tax breaks and for uh, whatever other reasons that places would do it, employment, whatnot. And he made an interesting comment. He said, you know, he said, it's, it's, it's interesting to me 
that when you have a, a American company like GE, that the, the country can dislike the company because it gets so big. Right. And he said, when you look at, he used the uh, uh, Siemens, he said, if you look at Siemens in Germany, the Germans cheer on Siemens. They right. want them to take the world over. You totally. look at Toshiba in, I believe it's Japan. He said they cheer on Toshiba. Yet when you become too successful in America, a lot of people want to dislike your company or wish bad upon you right. instead of building that company. I think that is right. a really strange thing. Yeah, I mean, it, it shows here that 95 million people uh, have Amazon Prime accounts in the U.S. That means 95 million consumers, mm-hmm. probably two of them sitting here. I'm assuming you I have am, Prime. <laughs> I do right. have Prime. So do I. And so 95 million households have decided that Amazon Prime is a good value. At 100 bucks a month. And if, if <laughs> yeah, if 95 million people decide it's a good value... I think they're doing some good things. I think they are too. And it's, it is an interesting thing when, when a company gets that big that the country cannot cheer it on. And they'll, you know, about wages. And I don't know what Amazon pays for wages no or wherever, but I can say that Amazon employs a whole lot of people. I mean, it is now, do they pay fair? What is fair? I'm not getting into that. But certainly if Amazon just shut her down, You'd have a lot of people uh, figuring out yep. what to do. And I think that's that's the argument on the other side is that, you know, how big is too big before they control you know a lot of the United States economy? And I don't know the answer to that, but I do know that the American people have free choice. And if they don't like pricing or they don't like Amazon, they'll go elsewhere. And I'm just I'm just not one of those consumers. I love it. I agree. And Amazon saved my bacon in the whole, uh, whole totally. quarantine, too. It's, uh, <laughs> I bought more crap on Amazon than I don't need than... <laughs> I mean, I just, I don't know how they can ship me a, I don't know, something that weighs half a pound and I spent like $8 on it and they ship it to me in two days. Like I can't do the math there, but I guess I ordered, that's through volume. I ordered a part for a bike pump the other day where I don't even know where you would get said thing, but sure enough, I go to Amazon, I type in what I think that, I don't know what this part is even called. But thing pops right up. It's six dollars and ninety nine cents. It'll be there on Tuesday. Is that, is that for your road bike or for <laughs> your mountain bike? <laughs> Nate, Nate gives me crap because I have a new road bike. But with, you, when did you, you have order hair some, like this? Did you order some of those little shorts? <laughs> or no, not yet. <laughs> right, I haven't good. gotten to that stage. Perfect. Well, cool. Let's uh, let's uh, Nate. You get on out of here. I'm going to interview Rob. I'm looking forward to this one again. Rob is the president of Exec, so he's going to give you some tips on things you can be looking at in, in you know one day if you're a business owner one day you exit it it could be above ground could be below ground could be a sale <laughs> hopefully could be above a, hopefully above but either way some things that you can be doing to take away from your business so nate i'll catch you later i'm gonna bring on rob all right welcome rob to the show all right mr rob wellendorf welcome to the show how are you doing today I'm doing well. Thank you, Brian. Thanks for having me. Yeah, appreciate you joining us on the on the podcast. And I, I was asking Rob if he was ready for the fame and fortune that comes along with uh, being a guest on this podcast. And Rob, are you prepared for such a thing? Yes, I believe I can handle it. Thank you for asking. <laughs> <laughs> Although I will brace myself. Good. If the fan line starts out front, just make sure they're six feet apart. yeah absolutely cool hey tell me i i was talking with nate a little bit about this and you know in the in the pre-show portion of this but tell us in your own words what does execso do yes excellent so 
Uh, Brian, Nate, Execso is really a uh, culmination of the last, oh gosh, over 25 years working in the closely held business owner space. More specifically, Execso, we provide guidance to the closely held business owners and their families. Uh, and, and with a little more detail, we've keenly focused on business exit strategies and the way that we design them. Uh, is such that, as we say, we harmonize their their business ownership, their family, their legacy, all of their wealth, and their charitable giving, providing harmony in all of those areas. Mm-hmm. And what what does you know when when you look at when you talk about exit strategies? I think a lot of people think you know I don't I don't I don't want to sell my business or it's a family business or whatever. What is what does a general exit strategy mean to you? Yes, and uh, what I'll mention as I'm going to respond to that is uh, I really like to talk about Brian the end in mind. Uh, so when I'm visiting with a business owner, and as you indicated, whether they are uh, you know whether they're young in their business, whatever that means as far as age or they've been running their company or companies for oftentimes, you know, 30 or 40 years. Uh, I like to talk about or ask them to describe uh, looking through the windshield. What do they see with their business or businesses say in the next uh, year or two or three? And sometimes we're talking about seven to 10 years, something like that. So I want to get a sense of, what they're doing, where they're going, and then immediately I'll start blending in their family. You know, how do you see your family as it relates to the business? So, you know, the exit strategy or exit planning isn't always, uh, hey, I've had enough of this company. Uh, I'll call my M and A buddy <laughs> and sell it thing. <laughs> and just yeah, and just unload it. I'm done. Um, I often say, and I'm smiling when I say it, uh, that you know you ought to start, Mr. and Mrs. Business Owner, you ought to start planning your exit the day you start your company. <laughs> <laughs> and and that you know that could be a time horizon of 20, 25 years. So, uh, just to give you a little more specifics on you know what the exit strategy might look like, what we're trying to do is best understand the wishes of the owner and the owner's family. And then once we can paint that picture, oftentimes I'll call it a utopia, then we can back into today. Here's where they're at. They've described where they want to be and we can begin working with their other advisors, their CPA attorney, financial advisor, insurance professional, start working with them to help design and then ultimately implement the exit strategy. Got it. Now I, w- I want to get to <clears throat> that, that you said there, but in, and we'll get to the, how you work with other, uh, uh, advisors, so to speak that they have, but I want to be clear that, that Rob is an interesting, uh, sits in an interesting spot where he doesn't generally speaking, not that you can't function as their financial advisor or their insurance agent or their CPA or their attorney or, anything like that. It's more of a coordination effort. We'll get to that, but I want to make it clear that when he's talking about business planning, it is not necessarily 
financial services related. In fact, I'd say in most cases, it's probably your angle is has nothing to do with that. But you, you mentioned that, you know, when you're talking to a typical client, um, I'm guessing that your typical client and on, on you know, clients that I, I know that you've had, they're more at the end stage of their business or final final 10 years. Would that be safe to say? Yes. The typical engagements, the owner, when I ask them to, as I say, look through the windshield, tell me what you see. Uh, most often, uh, if we get seven, eight, 10 years out, they don't see themselves owning the business at that time. So I would say the typical uh, time horizon, I call it runway, if you will, mm. when I'm talking to the owner is really most often it's, Hey, I want to be done probably in the next three, four, five years, uh, is what I hear most often. Which makes sense. And and I know that, you know, for, for those that are listening to the call, a lot of Rob's clients are, I mean, of course you do have a net worth is not the benchmark for how you work with a, with a client, but you've worked with people with $50 million businesses, hundred, 150 million, $200 million businesses, big, huge, you know, businesses that are again closely held and privately owned but it's not to say that that anybody can't take something away from the thoughts and ideas that you have now why do you think that people you know you talk about that life cycle they they're coming you know at at the end of the game they're coming and saying man i haven't even thought about this they've built a 50 million dollar business or a hundred million dollar you know saleable business yet they haven't addressed some of these things until the 10-yard line. What do you think happens in that life cycle of a business owner that they never even consider it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, and I've gone around and around and around with my estate planning buddies and my the CPAs that I work with and you know, all my activities with the estate planning councils, et cetera. We've gone around and around trying to figure out or sort out, you know, what is it? that helps or gets, I'll use that word, the business owner to take a step. Um, And and what I've learned and and what I believe is that um, we've got to line up. Now, this is an art and it's a science, uh, but we have to help the business owner line up both financially ready to be done and emotionally ready to be done. Mm -hmm. And as you had mentioned with scale, uh, whether this is a, a $10 million business or a $100 million business, the owner is the owner. Their emotions are their emotions, and their financial situations are financial situations. Mm-hmm. So uh, regardless of the size, we're still trying to help align or line up, hey, financially I can be done, and then emotionally. And where I think it gets stuck is uh, uh, and I should mention I do a, a, a large amount of qualitative research. Uh, if I get introduced to or hear of a business owner that's already exited and I was not a part of it, mm-hmm. then I will I'll track them down and try to get lunch or a call and do some qualitative research so they can look back and describe their experience, sure. what helped motivate them, et cetera, which has been helpful to me. But, but what, what I believe I've learned for this owner is that the business has provided many, many things for him or her for say 30 years. Mm-hmm. And there's a lack of clarity or uncertainty as to 
what's going to fill that, and, and some on the list would be purpose, mm-hmm. impact, passion, routine. And there is a, there's a fear uh, on the side of business owner that this huge void of passion, purpose, routine, uh, impact, where are they going to get that at a time, the day, the days, the years when they no longer own the business? So oh, you know, the financial validate, hey, let's, let's make sure financially they can make it happen. Sure. Our financial advisors that we work with and do an income modeling and the Monte Carlo, and they are fantastic at all of that. And we can back into, all right, we think we need about seven and a half million dollars for the business and it's valued at 12. We're, right. we're good financially. <laughs> <laughs> right. so, but, but that's so, often not their concern. <laughs> no, no that, yeah. that, so that, yeah, that's not the aspect that's keeping them from stepping forward. You know, it's funny. I was talking to a uh, professor from the university of Minnesota and he said, one of the hardest things that, that you see, you know, to your point is, is that you go from being a, valued, respected person at a business where people are respect your opinion and look for you for ideas and, you know, look up to you, you hang it up one day, you walk out and you're just another dude in Target on a Tuesday. <laughs> that's a, yes. that's yes. a weird transition. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, that, yeah. Yeah, that, that reminds me of a client that I had in, um, oh gosh, it was maybe even six, seven months ago, but, uh, he's on the other side of that, Brian, he just got back from, uh, 6,500 miles on his Harley. Oh, wow. Totally. Yeah. Totally anonymous. He just wanted to just get lost. Sure. Uh, and that was following a, a business exit. Um, uh, uh, so yeah, Good there's, there's so many aspects of the emotional side of this that, that I think we, uh, and I'm going to mention exec. So I think we just need to take the time to understand that owner, uh, as it relates to all these aspects of him or her and their family and their lives, uh, rather than just slam some strategy down and say, okay, your business is worth X. Here's how you get out. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's, that's where I think business owners get stuck. I had a, a guy tell me that he was, uh, he was landing in San Francisco on a weekend trip and he had the purchase agreement with him. And he said, I was about to sign it. It was a, like a $65 million transaction. Yeah. And then something just didn't feel right. So, so I decided not to, well, when we do proper planning, we're able to emotionally kind of check those boxes and get the Uh, owner, the family, yeah, in in place so that they they don't have those hesitations, those issues, and none of which is pushy. It's all guidance. Right, right. And I think we'll we'll maybe touch on some of those things that people can do earlier on, but I, I did want to touch on, you know, what you mentioned earlier about working with CPAs and financial advisors. A lot of businesses and people listening to this call, their business they have a financial advisor, they have a CPA, they have an, 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 an attorney, maybe an estate planning attorney. I mean, a, a successful business is surrounded by sharp, intelligent people who can are specialist scenarios and give them advice. And you talk about, you know, kind of creating a fiduciary harmony between those people. So how, how do you, where, do, where are you going to be able to provide something that all these talented, licensed, sharp people can't give a business owner. 
Excellent. Uh, I'm going to share a brief story as I'm sitting at lunch with an attorney who invited me, the business attorney invited me to meet uh, his business owner clients. Um, and it was husband and wife. And for uh, minority reasons, she owned 90% of the business. They're doing about $35 million in revenue. And it's a, uh, um, a general contractor. And I asked my question about you know, looking through the windshield and what do you see? And I'll tell you, Brian, they were absolutely specific on when they wanted to be out, how they were getting out, who the successors were going to be, happened to be a couple of key employees and, and, and one was their son. And I was, in my experience, I sat back and I'm like, wow, I don't know if I've ever heard this so clear. I mean, they, they, out of them? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was, it was, the picture was in my mind. I could see it. Uh, talked about going out to their place, the Ozarks, and I mean, just everything, the detail. So I said, I'm surprised and impressed and I'm smiling. And I said, you've got this all uh, thought through and, and you've imagined what it'll look like and how it'll go. Why, why are we here? Why am I here? Why have we not done something? Why have you not taken these steps? And she, she kind of leaned in and she said, because when we talk about this with our other advisors, we feel like they're all trying to sell us something. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't mean that uh, with any judgment. Sure. Uh, um, but <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, we think about the CPA uh, and the history that the CPA has had with typically with the owner and the family, um, which is significant, and the estate planning attorney, significant. Oftentimes, financial advisor, uh, these folks have probably had uh, it, probably decades of time with the owner and the owner's family. However, what they haven't done, or I'll say oftentimes is not done, is take the time to listen to the owners, listen to their family. And I think this is key and you'll see this in our process and it's there because it's effective. It's there because it works, but have an opportunity to interview the next generation. Mm -hmm. We'll conduct one-on-one -on -one discussions and interviews with, with children and then both uh, children that are in the business and key employees, whether they're family, non-family, and start to understand that perspective. Uh, nothing would be more frustrating than dad say, okay, I'm going to transfer this company to my son. And then when we go sit with the son and say, dad says you're ready. And the son says, I don't want it. I, I've seen what he's doing and how hard he works. I don't want that. Uh, so, so, so I think about those other advisors and everybody has uh, experience, perspective, relationship, knowledge. As you said, these are sharp folks. However, I've also discovered that very few of them will take the time or have taken the time mm -hmm. to fully understand the wishes, desires of not only the owner, but the family. And sure. those uh, next gen discussions are very revealing. When we have all of that, uh, then I believe we can collaborate professionally having the CPA and the attorney and the financial advisor with me at the table, mm -hmm. independent of the client and start to design the best exit for that, for that business owner and the family. Sure. And I think it's, you know, they, they all have their expertise and, uh, looking at it through their lens in their lane 
where your expertise and your lens just comes at it from a different angle. It's not right, wrong, or indifferent. It is just if I go to our, you know, a, a, one of the attorneys we use, he operates on things that are that focus in this lane over here, and he's very good at it. But like, doesn't get outside that lane. It's probably why he's very good at that. <laughs> it's, it's just a, a different lens and probably the, a fresh perspective from someone who hasn't been involved in the business. You're a a trusted outsider, I guess, is probably a good way to phrase it too. I I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, yeah, there's not necessarily good advice versus bad advice, or this is the wrong thing versus the right thing. Right. It's just a better end, and I'll put it in quotes, product, but it's a better end product when all of us, the advisors, are communicating, sharing, and collaborating with the focus solely on that owner and the owner's family. Mm-hmm. And what, are there any common themes before we get to, you know, what, what, what can I, if I'm a 38 year old business owner or 45 year old business, I'm in the middle of all of it. I'm enjoying it. I'm winning and losing. I'm hopefully winning more than I'm losing, but you know, you're, you're just mm-hmm. in the grind of the business and it, it's, it's, it's your, in my case, fourth child, let's just say, but are there common themes that pop up for, for these folks later on that someone uh, that is 45 could look at and say, that's a probably one to think of, even though you're not leaving anytime soon, but are there common things that pop up or is every business unique? Yeah. Uh, some, some commonalities or areas that I would advise to, to focus on for the business owner situation that you described, whether it's early ish or midway ish or a little beyond that, um, when it's time to exit, here's a couple things that stand out, uh, and these will be very obvious. First and foremost, I'll call it predictable cash flow for the entity or the entities if there's multiple companies. And many folks will say, okay, show me the last five years tax returns. Let me see the 1120S, and I'll look at the net income, and then I'll know if this business has predictable cash flow. I say, hold on, pump the brakes. We need, we need to look at more specifically, we need to look at how is this cash flow being generated? Mm-hmm. We'll talk about key people. I mentioned earlier uh, interviews or discussions with key people. And it really, Brian, it's a risk management lens. I want to look at this company with the risk management lens on to see if there's any gotchas, any disruptions, any issues that would cause that cash flow to get interrupted, disrupted, or even destroyed because without the predictable cash flow, then we can't plan. Predictable cash flow then helps whether it's an internal sale because oftentimes on an internal sale, the owner has to carry back some of that that sale price as a personal note. And the best way to get paid back is to sell something that's generating cash Mm -hmm. uh, or if the owner and we determine it's best to sell to a third party or outside third party, they're really, most buyers are just buying cash flow as well. Mm-hmm. So that, that's what I would encourage for, for, for one is the cash flow and do what we can to make sure it's protected, predictable. If you peel that back a little more, I talk about key people. Uh, there's a lot more to that 
Um, but generally, we're saying, all right, you know, have you locked up your key people? Are you taking care of your key people? Have you cross-trained your, your key people um, so that we can uh, get some confidence around that cash flow now and into the future? The other, I said there's two. The other is I cannot emphasize enough helping business owners accumulate wealth outside of their entity or their companies, mm-hmm. because as we do that, uh, they in time become much less dependent on the strike price of that sale mm-hmm. because they have other uh, places of wealth and other places where they can derive income. Uh, and, and I know that's a tough one. I know mm-hmm. it's a tough one. I, I remember almost 30 years ago asking a business owner to pull, say, 10 grand out of the business and invest it. And they say, well, I can show when I put the 10,000 back right. into my business, I, I get a 26% rate of return. Right. <laughs> if you sh- if you show me someplace I can get 26, I'll do it. Otherwise I'm keeping the money. Right. Yeah, I get it. But now uh, as, as we look back, many of them say, oh man, I, I wish I would have accumulated more outside the business. I am totally dependent on what this thing sells for. Mm-hmm. Uh, so those are a couple of lessons that I think might be helpful. And I think that first one is an important one of, you know, when you're building a business, it's, it's oftentimes all you or a very small handful of people and getting a business less reliant on you and more reliant and spread out and in scale is one of those things from predictable cash flow of if I'm going to buy a business and it's one guy who drives all the revenue and he's the one leaving, what do I have left at the end of the day is you know a good one. So that's yeah, uh, yeah. That, and do you, that, do, you, I just do, say, do you see that a lot? Yeah, you're you're on. I, I just for our listeners, I think this is an interesting question when you're with the business owner. And it's an, it's kind of an assumed consent. You say, Oh, you know, Mr. And Mrs. Jones, tell me about the last one month vacation you took. Where did you go? What did you do? <laughs> and they'll either sit back. I've got business owners that go, Oh, we had a great time in Cabo. And I have others that are like, are you kidding me? I can't be gone for a Please month. Fall apart. <laughs> exactly. It's a great question to, to gauge, okay, how are they doing in exactly what you said? How are they doing in uh, in their ability to transfer a lot of the duties um, and the ability to generate cash, whether they're sitting in that chair or not? Uh, it, the earlier or sooner that, that they can accomplish that, uh, there's multiple benefits down the road. Very good. And anything else you can think of that if somebody is in there, you know, they're not on the five-yard line. If they're on the five-yard line, just call you. <laughs> if, you're, if you're back on the 20 yard line, you know, you're entering the red zone, anything else you can think of that would be important things to at least start thinking about, or are they discussing it with their spouse or their kids or like, what else can people do to, to kind of maybe not get ready to exit it, but let's be honest, at some point you're exiting your business. It could be above ground or below ground. At some point you're not there anymore. What other types of things can people do to start preparing for that? Yes. Um, and I like to say making the unspoken spoken. Uh, and I also want to offer this cautionary. I get it. That, you know, many of us are in uh, smaller communities, if you will, and you just don't want the word to get out. You know, hey, Wellendorf's thinking about selling. Uh, so it's very, very private. However, when I say making the unspoken spoken, we really need to present 
create an environment for the business owner to start to effectuate or, or, or express uh, some of their wishes and desires. Uh, and I know that can be difficult to, to, for an owner to talk about a time they don't own this business for many of the reasons we offered emotionally uh, earlier about purpose and impact and routine, for example. Uh, but the fact, I encourage owners, the fact that you talk about it, we make the unspoken spoken, the fact that you share kind of sort of, it might be early, kind of sort of how you see this thing transitioning, what your role might be or might not be, who might be taking over, the fact that we verbalize it doesn't mean that you're doing it. It just helps us in that thought process. So as we age, uh, and it seems like we're moving, as, as you described with the football field, as we're moving down the field, getting closer to that red zone, it's not the very first time it's crossed my mind. Um, it, and it is extremely helpful just to share that. It, that nobody's going to hold you to it. Um, you know, you say to me, I want to be done in 10 years, I'm not calling you, Brian, 10 years from today and saying, Hey, you, you said, yeah, get out, get out of there. Uh, yeah. yeah. So I just, I did just facilitating that type of discussion and thought process, um, you know, will help. Well, I'll say me and help me, but also the other advisors on the team. It'll just help us with posturing and positioning. Um, you know, that's a lot like the analogy of building a house. We've got to get a strong foundation, um, and in order to do so, we better fully understand what this is going to look like with the end in mind. Right. No, couldn't agree more. And I definitely appreciate you coming on the show. And these are the kinds of things that we have, you know, lots of listeners that are business owners on here and, you know, they are wildly successful at what they do, but you're certainly, again, you're going to exit it at some point. So figure out what you really want to do with it. And it's, it's, it's so interesting when you talk to people of, some want it to be a legacy for the family. Some want to leave the keys on the table and head out for 6,500 miles on their Harley. And some want to stay involved or whatever it may be. But very important things for people to think of is, you know, the it occupies so much of your life in your business. It becomes such a passion for people. But, you know, it, it, it someday there's a, a, a second second stage of this life, I think. So definitely appreciate your feedback. And Rob, how, how can people best get a hold of you if they're a financial advisor that has a, a business client like this or an attorney has a business client or or they are the business? What What's the easiest way to get a hold of you and just have an initial call to say, I don't really know what you do. I listen to your podcast and maybe I got a guy or I, I am the guy. <laughs> sure. And I, I really like starting with the website. Uh, it'll give you just a little more framework around kind of how we work, what we do. And then I really encourage, whether it's the attorney or the CPA or the financial advisor or even the business owner, I really encourage even a 20 to 30 minute visit. Um, uh, so, so the website is execso.com, E-X-E-C-S-O.com. Uh, and then, yeah, we, we conduct these visits, these 20, 30 minute calls, uh, most of them video, but we're doing them all the time just to make a connection and see if I can provide a little guidance uh, or input um, uh, based on where they're at. And, and I, I, I've heard the feedback that it's been extremely helpful just to talk to somebody that has independence and sure. experience. Well, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and has done this before. <laughs> it, yeah, and not trying to sell them something. That's something yeah. too. It's not very, you know, you don't sell a $50 million business too many times in your life or even a $10 million one. It's uh, kind of a first-time shot for most people. 
Yeah, yeah. I call it the one-way door. I mean, once you sign that purchase <laughs> agreement, you're just you're through it. It's like returning your rental car. There's spikes. You're not. You're, you're not. You're, you're through. Yeah. You're just another dude at Target on a Tuesday. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, we I appreciate nice you having me. Hey, thanks a lot. Yeah. Uh, we appreciate it. Thanks for having it. me. It's been okay. enjoyable, buddy. I'll talk to you soon enough. Okay, Brian. Thank you. Thanks, so much. Rob. Take Bye-bye. care. Bye-bye.